Another day, another tough test for the Canucks against a powerhouse Florida opponent. It is the Canucks Hour here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd. My co-host, as always, is Canucks insider Thomas Drance, who also covers the team for The Athletic. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. Visit avenuemachinery.ca. The 5-2 loss to the Florida Panthers, yeah, probably deserve better than the scoreline indicates. And your reward for that decent performance, a date with the back-to-back Stanley Cup champions in Tampa Bay, Drancer. Uh, yeah, not an easy bounce back game for this club, but you've got to get one. Like you've got to get one at some point on this road trip. And certainly you need to put in a really good performance. You need to put in the type of performance that at least positions you to be confident going into a really tough back to back set this weekend against the Capitals and the Hurricanes. This road trip is unrelenting. It won't get easier tonight, although no McDonough. Right, no Ryan McDonough, yep. the nope. best shutdown defender on the Tampa Bay Lightning, is is out tonight. Uh, also, no Andres Palat, who is the single best puck battle winner, pound for pound, in the NHL. Period. No right. one, no All one right. comes out with the puck more, pound for pound, than than that guy. He is incredible. Um, this is not last year's Tampa Bay Lightning team. It's not like last year's Tampa Bay Lightning team had. Eight guys that I rate as first line caliber forwards. Uh, when you can, when you include three guys who won't play tonight, right? In in Palat, Blake Coleman, who's obviously in Calgary now, yeah. and Yan Gord, Gord, who's now in uh, Seattle. And on the blue line, they had five or four guys I'd consider top pair caliber defensemen. Looks like one of them's out. Cernak looks like he's back. So. Um, you know, the, the lightning won't be in a position where I thought they would be when I woke up this morning, which was that they'd have sort of like a Sergeyev Bogosian second pair. Instead, it's looking like a Bogosian Calfoot third pair uh, with Sergeyev Cernak. Pretty good, pretty, pretty good second pair that they'll be able to roll out all of those, all three of those guys, Hedman, Cernak, Sergeyev. Sergeyev could be a featured 1A defenseman on like 25 teams in this league. I'm pretty sure. He's very good. He's, He's incredible. Very, very good. He can run the power play. Yep. He can play uh, half wall on the power play. He's skilled. He's big. He's improved his defensive game. He's got a mean streak. No, I mean, what's not to like? There's so many players on this Lightning team that are, <coughs> excuse me, electric. And so, oh boy, oh boy, <laughs> too early, too early for that. So, look, it's a huge test. It's a huge test for a Canucks team that's played really well under Bruce Boudreaux. We know they had a layoff. They've now had. A bunch of practices in a row after the flight to Florida. They've now played a game. They need to come big tonight. Like, they need to come big tonight. Yeah, you, you have to put in a good performance. And, you know, last time we saw the Canucks play in Tampa Bay, what was it, 7 1? It was an absolute shellac. So long ago, I have trouble remembering. Yeah, it yes. was uh, January 2019, yep. and they got just absolutely pumped. Um, they'll need to do better tonight, and, and it's not going to be easy, even if this Tampa Bay team is somewhat diminished. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Again, 650-650, get your thoughts in about tonight's matchup between the Canucks and the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, just quick lineup notes, you heard no Palat, no McDonough for Tampa Bay. 
Not sure if it's going to be Andre Vasilevsky. Expected but not confirmed that he will be in net for Tampa. My, uh, my athletic colleague Joe Smith says he's expecting Vasilevsky having watched the morning skate. There you go. So expect to see one of the top goalies in the league. The phenomenal. top goalie. Sorry, the top sorry. Goalie. There's yeah, no, yeah. There's no enough, need to caption it. The, the top goalie in the league, Andre Vasilevsky. Yeah. So. That, that's always the thing that kills me about Tampa is it's it's so incredibly well built in front of goal. It's like, well, maybe you could just have even just like an above average goalie to give everyone else a little bit of a break. It's like, no, no, we're going to have the, you know, year in, year out Vesna candidate. Yeah, you know, I, Canucks fans hate when I pump other teams players tires, but I'll bring this back to Thatcher Demko. So just give me a moment here. One thing that Vasilevsky does that's fun to watch for tonight um, is he doesn't just make saves but he makes weird faces behind his mask. Like he does this odd thing where he's like, you know, he acts like a robot in his routine, his morning skate uh, routine, his warm up skate routine. And then he'll make saves and some goalies will like flash leather, make it look like Vasilevsky intentionally makes saves look easy yeah. and then shows it to shooters. So like get in their way as they skate around the net and throw it. Like he does things to psych people out to diminish his opponent's confidence. Truly, he does. This is a hundred percent intentional on Vasilevsky's part. He does all these things to make it look like the game is easy for him. You know, not you got nothing. He does it all the time. It is infuriating to watch from when you put yourself and empathize with the opponents. And, you know, for Demko, right, Demko's, it's not just Demko, it's also an Ian Clark mantra, right, which is that part of a goalie's job for a hockey team is to be an emotional leader, Yeah, is to provide confidence, to provide a boost with a big save, to make everyone feel settled, to make everyone play loose, to carry yourself in a certain way. And Demko... Demko's an intense person, but he does seem to have ice water in his veins in terms of his emotional calibration, right? Like, he's a very level-headed, oh, yeah. calm personality. And I have seen him do some of the... He's not as over-the-top as Vasilevsky is with it, but he does have some of that in him. And we do see it on occasion. Uh, you know, you'll see it on occasion. Demko... Often you'll you'll notice he often like scoops pucks out, out of his glove after saves like he'll just toss it on the ice like he does some of those casual things to um, you know again I don't think it's as much psyching out so much as it's just again per Ian Clark's sort of philosophy creating a calm demeanor for your club Vasilevsky's a little more aggressive in how he goes about <laughs> it and uh, and and but there is a commonality there in terms of being super conscious and considering the way you carry yourself to be every bit as important as puck stopping performance Demko and Vasilevsky have that commonality but Vasilevsky stunts when he does it and and it's something to watch for tonight Goaltenders are crazy, basically, is what it comes down to. <laughs> Goaltender is just such a bizarre position. The demands of the position are so unique and so weird. But yeah, that's something to watch for for Vasilevsky. And it's funny with the Canucks because, you know, we, we kind of talked about maybe you you can sneak a couple of uh, less than stellar goals past Sergei Bobrovsky. You could argue they did that, even though he had a really good statistical night as well. And then, you know, for a team that... You could look at the Florida game and say, hey, we generated a lot of offense. We just need to convert our scoring chances now. Now you're running into Andre Vasilevsky at the back end of Tampa. So that task is very, very difficult. But as we look at, and by the way, Thatcher Demko will be in net for the Canucks. No lineup changes, so no new players coming in was the message from Bruce Boudreaux this morning. 
will could we see some tweaked lines? How will how will that look? Well, remains to be seen. Uh, closer yeah, to and it was time. an optional skate yeah. at uh, the Canucks did an optional skate this morning, so we didn't see they did use the same lines that they used at practice on, uh, or sorry, they used the same lines in yesterday. practice yesterday yeah. as they did in the game on Tuesday. I I think he's going to send the you guys performed well. We're not making changes yet. Sort of message to his team by at least going into the game with the same formation. Um, and then we'll see how much that changes as the game goes along. I don't know that we've seen a lot of uh, like Blender Bruce uh, to this point uh, in, in Boudreaux's tenure. And, and frankly, that's largely because things have gone things so have been well. Hurt. Yeah. You know, there's been no <laughs> reason. To. Yeah, there's been no reason to hit the puree button. Um, but uh, <laughs> but uh, we'll see. We'll see. I'm very curious to see. And I'm very curious to watch in particular Niels Hoaglander. And, and his bounce-back performance, I thought he had a really tough defensive night. His ice time reflected that. Um, you know, when I think about Niels Hoaglander, we so often go country to country for comparisons, comparisons of, of players, right? Yeah. So it's like people are like, could he be Yarncroft or Arvidsson, right? And it's like, okay, come on. Um, you know, as I thought about Pilot, the Pilot injury this morning, and Pilot is honestly one of my favorite players. Like, I, I you know, as much as... Uh, I might say nice things about Panthers players who I happen to know personally and I've seen them grow up a bit. Like Palat, watching Palat, he's an artist on the wall. It is honestly remarkable. I, I love to watch him play. And as I thought about the Palat injury and how upset I was on some level just to not have the opportunity to get paid to watch Palat play hockey, which is, you know, a blessing. Yes. Um, You know, I, I thought a little bit like the way that he wins battles, the way that he can create out of nothing in the offensive end, the way that he anticipates on the forecheck. Like, you know, if there was a high-end guy that I was going to say, that's who you'd love to see Niels Hoaglander turn into. And look, this is a really high bar. Pilat has 400 points in his career. He's been a top-line player for seven, six, seven, eight years now in a row. But if there was a high-end guy in the NHL that I would point to and say, like, that's the guy who if you're hoping that Hoaglander hits his, like, fifth percentile ceiling, that's the guy you want him to be. There, I do think there's a fair bit of similarities there, uh, except that except that I'd say Pilat is and and was immediately on entering the league more aware defensively yeah. than Hoaglander is. That's sort of where the distance has the furthest to travel. But I'd add, I don't know that Pilat has hands that are quite as quick and tight as what Hoaglander has. As good as Pilat is, um, you know, so. Just an interesting thing that I was thinking about this morning. The Hoaglander, bit. as you said, the defensive bounce back in particular is going to be really interesting from Hoaglander because, again, the task doesn't get any easier going up against this Tampa Bay Lightning team. And just looking at the matchup from a Canucks perspective as a whole and where it sits in this road trip, you know, you mentioned the importance of obviously two points in this game, but also just playing well in this game to kind of keep, mm -hmm. at the very least, reestablish that confidence going into the weekend. And so much of the conversation since Bruce Boudreaux has come in behind the bench with the Vancouver Canucks has been about confidence. Brock Besser was on this station yesterday with Satin Dan talking about confidence and how important that confidence that Bruce Boudreaux has instilled in him and the other players has been for his performance. And, you know, Boudreaux didn't talk to the media for long this morning. It was only about 90 seconds, but... His his brief message was we too can early, compete with this team. For the West Coast that's writers. right. That's right. Like nah, I'm gonna hit this news button. I don't need to, I don't need to be on this one. But you know, one of his brief messages was we compete with this team. And 
considering how things went on Florida, where, yeah, I think the Canucks liked a lot of parts of their games. Boudreaux's pointed to, you know, some sloppiness and some flaws that he'd like to see corrected as well, obviously. But this game, I think, is really important tonight because you don't want this road trip to spiral into the worst-case scenario. Totally. Right? you got to stop the bleeding right here, right now. And I also just think if... If so much of what Boudreaux has accomplished has been, yeah, there's been system changes and there's been deployment changes and X's and O's and all that, but so much of it is about instilling that confidence. Confidence is such a fragile thing. Like, we're seeing it with Elias Pettersson. If you don't continue to get those results, you risk losing that confidence, and then all of a sudden it can be really, really hard to get it back, again, as we've seen from individual players on this team. And I think if you can find a way to bounce back and get two points tonight... That's going to be a confirmation of what Boudreaux has been selling to this group, which is basically, hey, you guys are good players. You guys can be a good team. You can compete with the back-to-back Stanley Cup champs. And I think, again, there's there's always the kind of parallel ways of evaluating this road trip, right? And obviously, with where they are in the playoff race, two points is imperative every night. and that That's always going to be crucial. But again, I think even more important than that is just making sure you don't fall into an extended slump where your confidence starts to go away again, right? Getting back on that winning path right away and saying, you know what? That Florida game, that was a blip. We were tired. We had the long layoff. We were a little sloppy. We're going to get back to the team that we think we are now. If you win tonight, it becomes so much easier to buy into that message that Boudreaux is selling. If you lose, all of a sudden you've got that top, you know, that tough back-to-back stretch on the weekend. And again, this road trip can start start to go in the worst-case scenario that we all knew was a possibility when they when they left. Totally, but if you don't believe in Boudreaux's message now, after 8-1-1, one, and one, that's on you. Yep. You know? But but belief is a tricky thing, though, right? Know, and if it, if if it's two losses and then going into the weekend and it turns into four losses... Uh, and, and you go into Carolina, who have the best point percentage in the NHL, right? They're the best team. Pace, they're pacing to be the best team in hockey this year. Yeah. And then schedule loss against the ho-hum Washington Capitals, right, <laughs> who are um, just an absolute oh, them. monster. Yeah. yeah. Tw- you know, plus 21 goal differential. They've won, um, <laughs> I think they've won 20 of their 37 in regulation, right? Just like an absolute buzzsaw team. So, um, yeah, I mean, got to, uh, <laughs> you, you got to get something out of tonight, I think. I, I, you know, you don't even need to win it, but you need to hang tough and, and getting getting points, like losing after regulation, you have to get something from it. I think, night. honestly, that would be big, even. Getting, getting oh, to overtime. Just huge. getting that point so you're not over on the road trip going into the weekend, right? And, yeah, people always, you know, when you start talking like this, it's like, oh, why are you content with moral victories? Like, y- you got to recognize the situation that you're in. And, again, it's a building block for the rest of the road well, trip it's in not, that scenario. It's not content with. It's just trying to be pragmatic sure. about where this team's at, what they need, and the quality of their opponent, not to mention the circumstances that they've faced going into this, right? This was a team that was rolling um, and then had 10 days off. Just like, yeah, 10 days off, and then comes in and, I mean, it's four of the best six teams in the league. Like, it's a really tough stretch for this club. Um, you know, I think if you can get points, if you can hang tight, um, if you can play well, that's that's good. that's good to see. That's good to see. But yeah, at some point, you're right, too. We've we've talked a lot about parallel tracks. I think that's the other thing. We deviate between the two, right? There is right. the track that is the Canucks playoff hopes. And if you're a, I want to see this team make the playoffs thing, then tonight's a very important win, right? But if you're someone who thinks that this team's 
a long shot bid to make the playoffs and is in the process of, you know, having this Rutherfordian metamorphosis into something new, something, you know, hopefully a lot better than what we've witnessed over the past five years, then I think you have to look at this as part of that process and just just a further data point and a more normal data point, hopefully, than what the Panthers game was for where this team is at when they come up against some of the league's best. And, you know, even though the Tampa Bay Lightning, I don't think, like, I think they're the third best team in their division, right? That's sort of where I think they're at based after they were reduced and the other teams improved, uh, Florida and Toronto. Uh, But (laughs) they're still really good. They're still third best team in their division, but would you say top six in the NHL still? Top five in the NHL? Yeah, fringe is the top five. Yeah, so like they're still, however however you slice it, and as you know, as much as we can talk about this is not the team that won back-to-back Stanley Cup, uh, Stanley Cups, this is still an incredibly daunting team, right? Oh, they're yeah. Still, well, and, they're, and they're due the respect of back-to-back yeah, and they still have Vasilevsky playing incredibly well. Victor Hedman playing Victor incredibly Hedman's well. Victor Hedman's playing really well. Braden Point is still a stud. Steven Stamkos is having a phenomenal year. Kucherov is back and lighting people up instantly Ooh. as he does. Well, and that's, here, you, here you go. you got to stay out of the box tonight. You know, I know yeah. the Canucks pet penalty kill has been really good under Scott Walker. Um, when I look through the underlying profile of it, they're still giving up a lot. Um, four on five. Uh, Demko's just been on an absolute heater um, when when uh, when the team's shorthanded. Um, credit to them. I think their pressure game has worked. I think it's been better without question. It's certainly surrendering shots at a much lower rate. But I still don't think they have the personnel to be like a sturdy top 10 NHL penalty kill. Over the long haul, as the sample expands, I think they're going to settle into maybe a bit above average, which is a huge improvement, by the way. This is not a negative point. No, this is like, like a, that is a phenomenal From where they were. Considering yeah. they were historically bad through 25 games. But Kucherov is an artist, five on four. He is the single best five on four playmaker that I've seen. Like, you know, I'm trying to think of the other guys that I think are great in that area and it's like Joe Thornton with the old with the old three high that the San Jose Sharks used to do Henrik and Daniel Henrik yeah um you know I think about Claude Giroux like prime Claude Giroux um you know Crosby obviously you think about Crosby and Malkin and and Latang up high for the Pittsburgh Penguins but for me for me there's no one better five on four in terms of um you know pulling pulling strings right just like just like puppeteering an entire power play than Nikita Kucherov. And and it certainly helps that he's got the NHL's premier marksman in Steven Stamkos at the left circle and Victor Hedman up top. I mean, an embarrassment of riches. And that's one of those things where you look at the stats, you know, getting set for this game and you see that Tampa's power play on the season is right around league average. They've been doing that without Nikita Kucherov. Completely yeah. changes the complexion of that. And you're right, staying out of the box, absolutely imperative for the Canucks tonight. And I wanted to, you know, on that point, what else has to change or what are the other kind of keys that you see for the Canucks? And I mean, specifically what has to change from their performance Tuesday against the Florida Panthers, if they are going to get this really important result that we're talking about against Tampa, because you know, the things that Bruce Boudreaux highlighted were the kind of sloppiness in the neutral zone. And what Boudreaux's point was basically like, look, there were phases of that game when we were a little sharper. And then all of a sudden we were able to control the play in that game. And then we started missing some passes, you know, we weren't putting them on the tape and things got away from us a little bit. So obviously you're trying to clean that up. The big one for me is, and I mentioned this when we were talking about Andre Vasilevsky, 
you got to find a way to convert your scoring chances. You got to find a way to be opportunistic in this game. It's much easier said than done going up against, again, the best goalie in the NHL. But if you're going to, you're not going to, I would be surprised if they find a way to rack up 40 shots again in this game, right? I don't think they're going to get it done with volume. I think they have to find a way to be opportunistic tonight against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Absolutely. Um, yeah, you, you, for sure you do, but you you also need you need volume. You can't beat this Tampa Bay team if you're not at least finding a shift or two that you're playing in their end on on a consistent sure. basis as you as you roll through the lineup. And you know, I look through this Lightning roster or what we're expecting based on what they showed in Morning Skate, right? And they've got Matthew Joseph up with Point and Kucherov lethal. Matthew Joseph, I know, is a small, not like a big-name player, but huge rate scorer, right? Like, Matthew Joseph's been my breakout pick pick guy for like, for years and years. Like, every every year I expect him to go big. I think this year he, I mean, he's on pace for a pretty decent scoring clip. Like, that's a dangerous line. But so so here's one huge key for me, though. Do not get beat. By Maroon, Belmar, right. and Perry. That line has been absolutely outrageous. First of all, that's that's Tampa's third line this year, right? When I talk about Tampa being diminished, like that would have been their fourth line a year ago, right? Because they would have had Gord, Gaudreau, uh, Coleman just absolutely crushing people. This year, their third line includes Corey Perry, who's got, I think he's got 10 goals. He has 10 goals. He has 20, <laughs> he has 20 points in 38 games at 36 in a third line role. Like, Good for him. Phenomenal. I know easy player couldn't, couldn't happen to a yeah. less likable easy, guy. Easy but you player love to, to hate it. as an opposing fan, but what a you what, what a career! You know what? I, I can never truly hate anyone who was on the uh, 2010. I, I'm kind of there team. with you yeah. as well. Like, yeah, too too many positive memories yeah, for that. 100. percent So you've got Perry, Maroon, and Belmar, big bodies. <laughs> that's that's an annoying line. Do not get beat by that line. That line they've been on the um, most of those guys are like plus eight. In five-on-five goal differential, it's like 17 goals for. Um, now, they haven't always played together. Like, sometimes they've been with Colton Point, who looks like he's going to be the fourth-line center as opposed to the third-line center tonight. But that line's generated twice as many goals as they've surrendered, and they're on ice for a five-on-five goal for every second game. That's incredible production from a makeshift third line that includes, like, you know, the highest-paid guy on that line makes a million dollars. Yeah. Right? Like, Tampa Bay just created this basically out of thin air with a couple of burly veterans in Maroon and and Perry. Burly might not be strong enough language for Maroon. (laughs) And, like, for me, if the Canucks are going to win this game, they cannot allow that line to do damage. We know what Point and Kucherov can do. We know what Stamkos and Sorelli can do. Like, we know that those are really good players. Do not get beat by the Belmar line and I think you've got you've give you give yourself a really good shot. Yeah, you've given yourself a chance because as you said the depth not quite as impressive for Tampa as it was. Although as I want to talk about this a little bit. We're, we'll take a break here in just a minute or so. Uh, but the kind of lessons we can learn from Tampa in terms of team building and specifically looking at their depth forwards and how they've put that group together, but 650 650 some thoughts coming in about what people are hoping to see tonight. A uh, couple did, of Did anyone object to me calling Stamkos the premier marksman? No. Usually no one, when I, usually no one has I, objected to Usually that when I say stuff like that, people are like, what about Ovi? Yeah. You didn't work for the Tampa Bay Lightning, so everyone accepts your opinions uh, on them. G- understood. Understood. <laughs> uh, 
Erico from Vancouver says, the GOAT got his second ring today. Play him 25 minutes tonight. <laughs> Luke they, Shen. They will. Yeah. They will. They do that every night now. Yeah. Because Luke he Shen. Plays, because he plays with Quinn Hughes. I welcome our top four overlord, Luke Shen. But he doesn't just play with Quinn Hughes, right? That He, he works yes. with Quinn Hughes. Yeah. Tucker Pullman played with Quinn Hughes. Travis Hamannick played with Quinn Hughes. Luke Shen works with Quinn Hughes. Butters and Surrey also says a Luke Shen revenge game tonight. And Kyle from the <laughs> island. I don't know if you. I don't know if you're really getting revenge on the team you won Stanley Cup also, ring with. Also, I, I think Luke Shen had opportunities to go back there. He wanted to chase yep. a bigger role, right? Yep. I, I mean, I, I think I, I don't. You look at the Bogosian deal, right, and the term on that. Um, I mean, I, I very much think that. My understanding is that Luke Shen had opportunities to go down to Tampa, and he wanted to play more. He wanted to show that he could be a more regular part of a lineup. And hey, it didn't look good in the first month of the season, but Luke Shen, top four defenseman, me singing his praises on the radio, looks like that gamble has paid Absolutely. off. Absolutely. And speaking of revenge games, Kyle from the island says she would be expecting an unreal game from JT Miller tonight. I mean, if there's a guy who's going to work that into his motivation, right? I think it... Could be JT Miller. I mean, JT Miller plays a lot of really effective games. So if he goes out and has, you know, two points tonight, I don't think you can look at it and say, oh, it's because he was fired up. It's like, no, JT Miller has a lot of multi-point nights for the Canucks. But yeah, I'm sure it's something he's, I mean, uh, he's thought about. If JT Miller steps on the ice and is fired up, we'll know. <laughs> it's not going to be hard <laughs> for us to tell, right? This is not This is not like a, a guy who uh, hides his sort of emotional level game in, game out. Um, I'd love to see it. I'd love to see it. You know, like um, I, JT Miller challenged a guy right after a goal had been scored. I think he should try to fight a guy as a celly. That would be <laughs> that would be how we'd know after that he JT scores Miller, the goal. Yeah, that just would... drop the gloves with somebody. <laughs> Let's go. Bring it on. Bring it um, on. J- I mean, JT Miller. Ha- JT. Uh, what's uh, yeah? It's it's hard to even know what a big game looks like from JT Miller. They're all big. Well, he games all, he right plays now. at a very high intensity it, level. It's anyways. incredible. Yeah. And and you know, I don't know that I understood when the Canucks acquired him. Like I thought he was a really really good top six caliber player, but I didn't know how good a playmaker he was. I didn't know how good a passer he was. I think that part of his game's improved. Not not that it was a weakness in his game, but I don't think he was an elite playmaker yeah. when they acquired him or when he played in Tampa the way he is now. Now it's pretty much indisputable. The, just from JT Miller's perspective, the trade is really fascinating because a lot, I think a lot of people look at it and say, <laughs> oh, well... You know, he's traded and immediately they go in and win back-to-back Stanley Cups, right? And that must have been so frustrating that you didn't get to be a part of that. Of course, I'm sure it is. But he's also got to play this incredible role here in Vancouver and really establish. He's, you know, up among the league leaders in points this year, right? Like, yeah. he's he's got a chance to establish himself as a bona fide top-line player, add these other elements to his game, and kind of increase his profile around the league, I think. So, it's one of those... You know he'll and he'll get paid as a result when when he hits. Uh, although although he would have he would have gotten paid in Tampa Bay. Blake Coleman got paid, right? I mean, yeah, but JT Miller is going to get paid more than Blake Coleman. Yeah, Blake Coleman got paid though. Yeah, but not to the same degree. Well, and then and then you get to the old the old question of would you know would you rather be Pat Maroon or yeah? It's like it's one of those ultimate sports careers questions. Totally. Right? Yeah, yeah. Do you want the bigger bank account or do you want the rings? Hundred percent. JT Miller is living that yeah, reality yeah. right now. Uh, sorry, to a it was certain it extent. was Pat Maroon and Benoit Pouliot. Was like I threw that out there once, Benoit Pouliot or, or Pat Maroon, and it was like ninety nine replies later on Twitter. I was like, oh, people, the, people this this is a question that resonates with people. Uh, it is the Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650. By the way, you can subscribe to the Canucks Hour podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, your favorite podcatcher. Uh, you can sc- subscribe to all the podcasts here on 650, by the way. Halford and Bruff in the morning, Canucks Central, The People Show as well. 
Hit us up, subscribe, leave a five-star rating or review. We were talking about Tampa's bottom six, the depth they've built in their organization, how they've gone about doing it. How can the Canucks try to do something similar here, especially with new management in place in the hockey operations department? You spoke to Derek Clancy yesterday. We'll get into a little bit of that as well, Drancer. Plus, read your text. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. It is the Canucks Hour on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to the Canucks Hour here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. It is a game day. Once again, the Canucks going to play the Tampa Bay Lightning. Puck drop at 4 o'clock. Of course, you get all your coverage right here on Sportsnet 650 pregame with Sat and Riccio will begin at 3 o'clock. I believe it's Sat and Reach doing your intermissions and your post-game analysis as well. So keep it locked here. Sportsnet 650 for your game day Canucks coverage. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. Visit avenuemachinery.ca. Lots of great texts coming in. You can keep hitting us up, 650-650. Dan from Langley texts in. He says, we can't make too many excuses for the Canucks. I think if teams are at the salary cap, max then they can be compared the owner and fans have to think what am i getting for my money compared to other teams uh you can gush over other teams quality players in depth but if the teams are at the same cap than the canucks the canucks have no excuse and changes need to come and i think he's making the point that just comparing to tampa bay and yeah they have a lot more depth and quality players on their roster despite the fact that you know obviously both teams working under the same salary cap and You know, I don't think you're wrong at all, Dan from Langley. Like, obviously, there has been a recognition early from Jim Rutherford, reading between the lines just a little bit, that, yeah, there are going to need to be major improvements for this Canucks team, certainly to get to the level that we've seen Tampa Bay operate at in recent years. But even just to get, you know, to climb the ladder in that direction, you're going to have to make some pretty significant improvements, obviously. Yeah, I think it starts with having some stability of vision, right? I mean, when Steve Eiserman was hired, and obviously he departed right before the back-to-back Stanley Cup wins, um, when Steve Eiserman was hired, the Lightning were a bit of a mess, right? They'd been through, I think, three, or sorry, two GMs in five years. They'd been through just a mess of different coaches. Um, They'd had success, obviously, coming uh, right, or going into the lockout with John Tortorella. They won the Cup. They had... But they had an aging core, right? They had Richards, they had LeCavalier, they yep. had, um, you know, St. Louis, who, who, you know, still was elite for like six more years. So I, I probably don't include him with the other two. Um, they had significant issues. They end up buying out LeCavalier, right? They trade Richards for a package that, you know, the Canucks also were interested in making. And I love, I've loved over the years how the return that the Canucks would have had to give them has like inflated. Every year it's like there's another great member of the 2011 core that was going the other way. It's like Kessler, Edler, Bieksa, and Schneider. Like, whoa, whoa. Anyway, um, the when you look at their front office, when you look at what they've done well, right, there, there's a few things that stand out to me. One is they have three assistant general managers. And we've heard a lot about Rutherford wanting to have three assistant general managers. I think you need about that amount to – you know, honestly, just to to run an N- a modern NHL organization. But it's not just that they have three assistant general managers. All three of those gentlemen, right, Al Murray, uh, Roast, um, you know, 
they've all been with the organization for seven years minimum, like seven to seven to 10 years plus. And that's through a lot of ups and downs. That's through years in which they missed the playoffs coming in with a roster that should have contended. That's years, you know, being up 3-1 in the Eastern Conference Final and then blowing it. That's years constructing one of the great regular season teams we've ever seen only to get swept in the first round, right? Vinick didn't blink. Jeff Vinick, of course, is the, the uh, owner. Bo- yeah. both the Canucks photographer and the Islander uh, Lightning owner. And <laughs> But he didn't blink through some really challenging times. And he stuck with this group. So they've had a long runway. They've had a long r- runway to refine their process, to figure out exactly what they're looking for at every level in terms of player evaluation. They've had tremendous success late in the draft. They've had tremendous success with um, undrafted free agents. You know, they've they've just been so efficient everywhere, and then they've been absolute masters of player development, right? Now, the Canucks are just at the start of building out their new-look front office, and I think there's some positive signs, but obviously we can't compare the continuity between the two at the moment, right? Because overall, uh, Rutherford's been here for, for a month. Like, you're not going to yes. have AGMs who've been long-tenured in a world where your president of hockey operations has only been here for five weeks. So... We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Obviously, we, Rutherford's brought in Derek Clancy, a guy who spent 15 years with the Penguins organization, who he worked with for seven years. Seven of those, half of Clancy's tenure was under Rutherford, who ultimately promoted him to director of player personnel. We expect the club to hire a GM, and then have three assistant general managers, and and so that begins to be the type of robust brain power, like like hockey expertise horsepower that I think you need to compete with the Carolinas and the Washingtons and the Tampa Bays of the world, right? You have to win in the boardroom to win on the ice. The Canucks haven't won in the boardroom enough. They also haven't won on the ice enough. Not a coincidence. Um, That to me is the big lesson. And the reason we sort of look at the lightning, despite the similar spend and, and hold them in a different area than this is that, I think, again, on these parallel paths, right, we're sort of looking at this Canucks team as an embryo, right, like as, as an embryo to be birthed into a contender over the long haul in this in this Rutherford era and how he decides to approach it. And, you know, I thought it was pretty interesting commentary from Derek Clancy, who spoke to me at The Athletic uh, for an article that ran today Um it's a Q and A basically with uh, with the new Canucks assistant general manager, and this is the uh, this is the quote right now. It's just about going through the process. Is the support staff right? Is how we're playing right? And I'll leave that to Jim Rutherford. He's the ultimate evaluator, and he'll come in at some point with a direction of how it's going to go, and we'll follow that direction. Right? There's a lot there, but one, among the things implied is that this team is still this management team is a still constructing itself, and b still figuring out exactly what they have to work with. And it's within that context that I think we're looking at the Lightning and the Canucks as being a little bit different. The Lightning are a team scraping to extend and win a third straight cup. And the Canucks are a team that we don't know. Like, we don't know what direction they're going to even go in in terms of their approach at the deadline in two two and a half months. Uh, and, And so it's more about circumstance. It's more about past accomplishment. It's more about team quality than it is about spend for me in, oh, absolutely. in waiting what this game means for the Canucks, not just in terms of their playoff race this season, but in the big picture. Yeah, and you don't need, I mean, 
we all know that the Tampa Bay Lightning, they have been one of the class organizations, the class organization in the NHL. And obviously the Canucks have not been that, right? And, you know, the results of today's game don't affect that one way or the other. You know, you don't really even need to dig too much into the cap-friendly uh, page for both teams. That's just kind of a, a known, established fact. The interesting thing, and just to dig into more, a little bit more with your conversation uh, with Derek Clancy, which, again, you can read at The Athletic right now. You know, you talked about the stability that Tampa has in its front office and how long-tenured not just uh, the general manager but the assistant general manager's are as well for Tampa. Obviously, you can't have that when the Canucks just cleaned house a little over a month ago and Jim Rutherford just joined the organization. But with Derek Clancy, it was interesting because, as you said, he predated Jim Rutherford in Pittsburgh, right? He had been there, and I thought it was interesting in in your conversation with Clancy, he said, when Rutherford took over in Pittsburgh, I kind of had one foot out the door. I had another opportunity, which was exciting to me, and I thought, you know what? New guy here in Pittsburgh. This is the perfect time for me to go chase that other opportunity. And it was Rutherford who really convinced him to stay and said, look, I see your value. I think you're really important and I want you to be here. And I think as much as, you know, you want Jim Rutherford is going to come in and put his stamp on this organization and bring in a whole bunch of new brain power as well. That ability to identify the talent and the important people who are already in place is really important as well, right? And whether it's Ryan Johnson, whether it's the Sedins, whether it's Stan Smeal, people further down the organization – not just making change for the sake of making change, but trying to retain some of that stability by recognizing the talent that's already in-house with the Canucks. Which, of course, was why it was so odd when the Canucks decided to make changes prior to Rutherford coming in, right? I mean, that was, um, you know, a a very unlightning-like way to conduct business within a hockey operations department. And, you know, I'm really curious to see what shape this Canucks front office ends up taking. We know that the club is, you know, doing general manager interviews, general manager level interviews. Uh, Sarah Volley, Friedman, a bunch of our Sportsnet colleagues reporting that there's five names in the pond. We sort of have two of them that have been well reported in Mellon B and Alvin, Alvin, Patrick Alvin, who's widely seen in the industry as the uh, front runner. And then there's a few names that are sort of trickling out within the business, names that are sort of being discussed, but no one knows for sure, the the Pat Verbeeks, the Sean Burks of the world. So we'll see where they land there. And then we'd expect two additional assistant general managers, two based on Rutherford's formulation, which he's been explicit about, that he wants three. Um, so that, that leaves you with a pretty sizable front office. Now, Derek Clancy is a player personnel guy. He's currently evaluating both sides, the amateur and the pro scouting side. Melon B is a pro scouting guy. Uh, Alvin is primarily a amateur scouting guy, although he's had a larger portfolio than that, or at least he had a larger portfolio than that in Pittsburgh. I don't think he still under does. Rutherford under Rutherford. Yeah, under Rutherford. Yeah. Under Hextall and, um, you know, the likes of Dave Pryor, the, the people really calling the shots in Pittsburgh now. And so what other areas do they kind of need? Like the Tampa Bay Lightning have it set up where Al Murray, for example, who's their super scout, right? He, he's one of their assistant general managers. I think it's Stacey Roast is their player development sort of general manager. I think he also serves as the uh, uh, general manager of the Syracuse right. Crunch. Um, but they have their GM, Julian Brisebois, who's a sports lawyer. He is the big picture guy in terms of salary cap negotiations, and we all know how well the Tampa Bay Lightning have manipulated the cap, right? Um, that remains to me an area that the Canucks need an assistant general manager in with with specifically that type of portfolio, a more strategic, 
um, sort of portfolio based on twisting the restrictions that come with a, ca- a hard cap system into Vancouver's favor. Really curious to see where that goes because some of the names, some of the names that have been tied to the Canucks for this job. Like, I don't feel like we've had a name tied to the Canucks for this job that does that. That checks that box. With the exception of Chris McFarland, and that was sort of a short-lived, um, almost speculative cl- like cloud that sort of yeah. was floated at one point. Uh, I do think the club thinks highly of him. Everyone in the industry thinks highly of him. But with that, he's the only name that we've had sort of floated who would be in that realm. And then finally, you get to analytics. And, and Clancy had some interesting comments on analytics. There's some comments in the athletic comment section right now that are like, are you worried that he says he's not an analytics guy? Um, And obviously everyone knows my preference is always going to be for progressive management strategies. I think it matters. The Lightning are one of the most progressive teams in hockey. They're back-to-back cup champs. The Carolina Hurricanes are extraordinarily progressive. They're the best team in hockey. The Colorado Avalanche are the best team in the West. Guess what? Extraordinarily progressive. Um, The Florida Panthers uh, have Sonny Mehta. Um, you know, a former pro poker player within their hockey operations department, the Toronto Maple Leafs. I mean, the the road to the Stanley Cup goes through some of the savviest analytics teams in hockey. So, like, let's stop pretending that this is even an open question. You need to have great data. And the reason, though, that I was not at all concerned by the way that Clancy formulated that he's not an analytics guy is that he talked a lot about you know, the gap sometimes that exists between the numbers and his impression as an old school talent evaluator who, you know, coached and thinks that or or believes that his sort of view of the game helps him find guys who might be in the wrong role or or maybe could be a better fit for us than they are for other teams. Not only does he have proof of concept having executed it in Pittsburgh, but the key for me is, are you open-minded enough about data that you can combine meaningful hockey expertise, right? Um, use the data to ask better questions in drilling down and, and use it ultimately to make better decisions. And, and for me, the way he talked about it implied that he was exactly that guy. And, and that's what you need. Like hockey expertise unchecked by data leads to mistakes. Analytics unchecked by hockey expertise also leads to mistakes. You do need to have yes. both if you're going to optimize your decision making. And the sense I got from Derek Clancy, it wasn't, he, this was not a classic instance of an old school hockey or sports guy saying, like, oh, those nerds in their basements with their numbers. He was saying, oh, he I'm brought it up. He, his, his response was basically, I'm not an analytics expert. I recognize that it has value, but that's not my thing. You don't need everyone in your front office to be an analytics expert. No. But at, to your point, I think there you can't have the people who are just completely dismissive of it. And that's not the vibe I got from him. In the same way that you wouldn't want your analytics person in your front office to be completely dismissive of your scouting staff. That wouldn't work at all either. So no. you don't not everyone needs to be an expert in every facet, right? You're not going to have you know five people in your hockey ops department who are analytics wizards and also fantastic scouts, right? That's just not going to happen, but there needs to be able to you need to be able to have that communication, that honesty, that openness at least to what the information that both sides are providing for you. And that's what I got from from Derek totally. Clancy, certainly. Well, and and Rutherford's Penguins always had an analytics guy, right? We talked about yeah. Sam Ventura. Uh, we talked about Jason Carmanos uh, earlier on in this program. I made the point that Rutherford did something really important, which is that he hired the smartest analytics guy coming out of Pittsburgh in Ventura, uh, who was running War on Ice at the time. And, um, and you know, that's an opportunity that the Canucks didn't sort of seize on until really late in the Benning era um, when they finally hired Ryan Beach. But, but prior to that, 
had sort of, um, you know, missed on an awful lot of the the intellectual horsepower that you need to compete in a, an efficiency contest like a like a hard capped league, um, you know, that's come out of the Vancouver area. And, and I'm thinking about guys like Reese Jessup and yeah. Cam Lawrence and Cam Sharon and um, you know a bunch of guys who work for some of the best teams in the sport. So, you know, I do know that Rutherford has reached out to some some very progressive, very intelligent, very experienced people within this industry. I do think that there will be a director level level or senior director level hire with an analytics portfolio replacing Jonathan Wall at some point. Um, I'm curious to see if it could be an internal promotion, um, you know, but, but I, I do know that that's going to be a priority and something that I also expect the club to add in addition to a general manager and to assistant general managers. And again, that just begins to build the sort of big tent that I think you need and that and that the club just didn't have during the Benning era where it was really two guys in, in yep. Benning and his player personnel guy, John Weisbrod, really making the bulk of decisions on both the amateur and the pro side. A more collaborative process is just absolutely essential here. And I thought it was interesting, like, over the course of my conversation with Clancy, one of the answers that I most thoroughly abridged is I asked him, and I said, look, a a pro guy, you know, is going to NHL arenas. (laughs) There's not as many sexy Pavel Bure type, like, drove an hour and a half through the storm to this rink in Helsinki, and it was me and the Detroit Red Wings scout, and, you know, but I saw him good, and we got him in the seventh round, and he became a star. Like, the you know, amateur guys always have those stories. Yeah. Pro guys... Not so much. They're often focused on leagues that have a lot of eyeballs, that have a lot of attention on them. And I asked him that question, he completely ducked it. Just because he's like, I'm a collaborative guy. There's no there's no guy that I would single out as being my guy. It was all part of a process within uh within the team, within the group. And, you know, that's that's how we did our business in Pittsburgh. That's how I do my business. And again, a really good starting point for the Canucks as they begin to build out the type of you know and and they've said diverse but but really in terms of uh, volume in terms of resources in terms of uh, teamwork intelligence collaboration a, a dynamic front office structure something more like Tampa Bay in in a variety of different uh, respects uh, I think that's a good starting point as Rutherford his lieutenant and some of the play, some of the people that you know they've inherited effectively on on getting the keys to the Canucks organization begin to put their stamp on Canucks hockey office. Yeah, it's an interesting way to look at this game because it's it's become kind of a cliche to look at the Tampa Bay Lightning and say, okay, how are we going to get to their level on the ice? And there's a reason people say that because they have set the standard in the league over the past several seasons. But I do find sometimes when you end up zeroing in on the best team in the league from a purely on ice perspective, you can kind of end up chasing trends that by the time your team catches up to them, they're two or three years old and you know, you're not on the cutting edge. You're trying to copycat what somebody else was doing really successfully a few years ago. Yeah. You have to get to that standard, but it doesn't have to, you know, you don't have to check all the boxes in the same way that the Tampa Bay lightning have checked them. But when you look at the front office, I think that is kind of a more sustainable thing to try to copy from the Tampa Bay Lightning, right? Rather than the specifics of how they've had their success on the ice, as you said, the very first thing that they got in place was the ability to win at the front office level, win at the executive level. And they've done that with a very specific, well-developed structure. And again, you can, you know, you can point to, uh, 
a lot of the different features they have on their roster and say, you know, how do the Canucks find a bottom six like that? I think that's a very legitimate conversation to have. I think that's something that Derek Clancy figures to help the organization with, given his track record in Pittsburgh. But again, the biggest takeaway when you're just kind of comparing the Canucks to the Tampa Bay Lightning, their opponents tonight, I think the big takeaway isn't even necessarily on the ice. It's how they do business off the ice, how they do business in their front office. 100%. And they're not distinct concepts. It's all tied together. Everything you do as an organization impacts every other area. And I think there was recognition of that. I think that's why the club brought in a president of hockey operations. I think that's why they prioritized people with significant experience like Rutherford. And I think we're already seeing some return on it just in terms of a change in how the club has handled communication, in terms of how they've handled multiple COVID outbreaks, in terms of, you know, the silence around this GM search. I think you're seeing a a different way of conducting business in Vancouver already. And what's going to be exciting is to track it once the club decides what's next and what they need to do with this team that clearly needs work and yet is 8-1-1 and 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 has earned, I think, the guys in that room have clearly earned the right to see how far they can take this run. Um, and, And, you know, the big task now is the next four days with games against three of the top six teams in hockey in quick succession. It's going to be fantastically interesting to see how they fare. They will get their shot to get two points again tonight in Tampa Bay against the Lightning. Puck drop at 4 o'clock here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Randy Janda, Bick Nazar up next with the People Show again on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.